At the Rabbit Room, we're always saying that art nourishes community and community nourishes art. Here's another way to say the same thing. We can all be allies in bringing good, beautiful, true things into the world. One way you can be an ally with the musicians and writers and artists whose work you care about is to leave a review. It helps other people find and benefit from the work that has meant something to you. And if you want to leave a review for this podcast, well, that'll be okay too. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Tish Harrison Warren is an Anglican priest and the author of Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life, a book that received Christianity Today's Book of the Year Award for Spiritual Formation. Liturgy of the Ordinary is often mentioned in conjunction with Every Moment Holy, Doug McKelvey's book of prayers and liturgies for everyday life. So I thought it would be fun to invite Doug into this conversation as well. Tish Harrison Warren, uh, thank you so much for being on the Habit Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, and Doug McKelvey, I'm so glad you're here too. Yeah, it's good to be back. We thought it'd really be fun to get you two in the same conversation, not the same room, because Tish is at home and, and Doug is here with me. Um, because Doug's book, Every Moment Holy, is a book of liturgies. Uh, Tish, your book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, obviously is very concerned with liturgy. And it, it f- seems like people who go looking for one book sometimes end up with the other book as well. And so I would just love to hear y'all talk about uh, some of the commonalities between the work you do. And, and um, I just think this is going to be, I think, interesting things are going to happen uh, with, with the two of you in conversation. I, I want to start with the idea of the ordinary. I mean, Tish, that's in the title of your book, and it's uh, it certainly is um, an important idea in in Doug's book. Um, the idea that that you're you're both calling readers to pay attention to the ordinary, um, in the belief, in the faith, in the confidence that um, that the ordinary things of the world are uh, are holy, are shot through with meaning. So and, and also, by the way, I think that's a good posture for a writer, right? It's, that's that's a spiritual posture, certainly, but it's also a writerly posture. So one of the things that I've learned since the books come out is that ordinary for a lot of people is a code word for something. Like, hmm. um, often it's a code word for, uh, like, oh, okay, so this is about being a stay-at-home mom, or this is hmm. about being boring, or um, this is about, uh, you know, being in your 40s with a mortgage as opposed to when in your 20s or a famous person or uh-huh. a person that makes an impact on the world. But I really think everyone experiences the ordinary, whether you are a stay-at-home mom or a, a stunt driver, you know, that, that, <laughs> uh, that becomes that becomes the stunt driver's ordinary, right? It, yeah. It's their life. And um and so uh, I wrote this book in part because I, um, you know, was a 20-something that kind of wanted to, like, change the world and, or at least a part of it and live adventurously and um, had no idea what daily life why that would matter to God or uh, what spiritual formation and discipleship looked like um, in ways that that weren't kind of flashy or or emotional or or big or 
life changing or world changing. So um, I hit in my 30s a period where, uh, you know, my husband was in grad school. We were living in Nashville and I, I just had no idea how to find meaning and how to seek God in my actual my actual lived life. It was sort mm -hmm. of seeking God was a fantasy for a different kind of life than the one I was actually living. Hmm. Um, and so sort of out of that, I um, wrestled a lot for many, many years. And then many, many years later, I wrote this book, um, sort of pulling from a lot of things that I had learned over those years. But in general, when I say ordinary, I just mean the stuff that makes up your actual life, what you actually do with your day. So what you do in your first two hours of your day or last two hours of your day, what you do for your work, what you do with your neighbors and your mm -hmm. friends, uh, which we all have. I mean, the president of the United States has to brush his teeth. So, yeah. or we hope so that he does <laughs> anyway. So um, yeah. no one escapes the ordinary. Yeah. Doug, I know you've done some thinking about the ordinary. I mean, you've, you've written two liturgies that I know of about changing diapers. <laughs> I don't know how many others you've written. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to create a new subgenre. <laughs> what Tish said does resonate with me a lot in my own experience um, from, uh, from the standpoint that I grew up in traditions where there was um, – Actually, not a lot of tradition, but <laughs> in subcultures where there was a lot of talk about doing great things for God and and a lot of pressure for, you know, to have some sort of international, worldwide, you know, miraculous ministry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, you know, anything less wasn't, wasn't really worth thinking about. And... Yeah. At a certain point in my young adult life, um, suddenly coming to the to a place where that all ground to a halt, and it was like my my ship struck an iceberg, and that iceberg was the realization that I don't know how to love people. Mm. You know, I have never been a good friend to anyone. I have not been um, a good son or brother. Mm. You know, I just fundamentally have this problem where I can't maintain relationships and and my first calling, if I'm going to follow Jesus, is to learn to love people. And if God ever wants to do something else beyond that through my life, that's fine. But mm -hmm. I need to just concentrate on this lifelong goal of trying to become someone who loves people more like Jesus does. Mm -hmm. So, I think that that idea of coming to realize that our life is made up of ordinary moments and that the only people we can serve and love are those who are actually in our lives, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that our lives are rubbing up against each other in some capacity. So, um, so yeah, what, what you were saying, Tish… Um, you know, it, it made it took me back to to that part of my own experience. Hmm. Yeah, so I deeply resonate with everything Doug just said, 
And I should say, actually, funny enough, just this is a total aside, but I actually don't own a copy of my book right now because I gave my last copy away, but I have Doug's book on my coffee table. So I own his book <laughs> and not my own book. <laughs> um, but uh, to bring it, I'm well aware that I feel like I didn't address the writing part of your question. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just, I'll say that I think, um, so I was really wrestling with ideas of, live as a formation of the way daily life forms us. Um, and some around the same time I took, um, I mean, I, I am a pa- I'm an Anglican priest. I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. I worked in campus ministry. So I loved to write. I wrote a lot, but I never thought I'm going to be a writer. This is going to be my career mm-hmm. at this point. It's my career. I mean, it's the main gig I do, but, that that it sort of I stumbled into it, and writing found me way more than I found writing in many ways. Mm-hmm. Like I I wasn't looking for it, but so my writing started. I just um, I took a poetry class. I took a poetry writing course. There was a, um, a Middle Tennessee University had a little uh, like graduate level you could take writing courses there Hmm. and I really on a it was a total lark just took wanted to take this class in in writing poetry and um really really loved it but the reason that I did it was to notice my own life was Hmm. to take um I've never published poems so it didn't lead to you know right I've never even tried to publish poems. <laughs> Maybe I should, but I. Uh, but it it was writing began for me as a way to notice what was happening in my actual world. I was, mm-hmm. yeah, I was at the top of my twenties and bottom of my thirties. I was pregnant with my first child, and I felt like my life was changing, and I needed to. St- look at it. I needed to Mm. kind of hold it close and notice it. And so um, that was how writing uh, with that poetry class and then a friend of mine um, who had an online magazine called The Well that InterVarsity put out was asked me to to write for it. And essentially, I started writing just about my own life. It was Mm. very slice of life. It was very like, what am I learning in my actual life today? So I feel like now, I mean, I just wrote a piece for Christianity Today. They asked me to write about the Via Media, Mm -hmm. which is a very ideas-heavy piece. But writing didn't start for me about ideas. It really started about noticing what was happening in front of me. So could could one of you make the connection um, between... The idea of the ordinary on the one hand, the idea of liturgy on the other. I, I'm not sure that's self-evident to to everybody who hasn't read your books, who's not familiar with your work. Of of why, for, you know, why, for instance, um, uh, Tish, you would you would speak of the liturgy of the ordinary. Uh, what, what's the connection? Well, for me, um, liturgy is simply those uh, the things that we do, the stuff that we do, the practices in our life that form us. So that that certainly is formal liturgical liturgy on Sunday morning. Um, but that's also like uh, 
you know, compulsively picking up your smartphone is Mm -hmm. a liturgy. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I don't know, you know, we have liturgies around our family life. We just started school again and entered this routine. It feels it's liturgical, right? It's like a it's a liturgy of our time of our year. So, um, you know, there were when I was wrestling with these questions of how does ordinary life matter, there was this whole spate of Christian books for a while that were like uh, all about ordinary and and how they mattered and, and how God meets you in your regular boring life, which was great. They're actually good books and I benefited from them. But I kept saying like, why? This can't just be, I don't want just this to be another piece of information that I like hold in my head you know, my ordinary life matters, like, to, you know, put on a sign on the wall or something mm-hmm. to remind me. I wanted to understand. And so the quest, the answer f- for me was formation, that this mm-hmm. is the place that we are formed. And a lot of it has to do with the name of your podcast, with the idea of habit, that these are the things that kind of make us. Um, and so... Um, most of our life, I would say, is lived by liturgies, daily liturgies. And some of those form us to more beautifully to give and receive love. And some of those malform us. And so mm-hmm. my book is a lot about wrestling with what are the things that form us in our daily life. Mm. When I first moved to Nashville in the early 90s, um, mercifully, I, I ended up um, very quickly plugged into the art house community that um, Charlie Peacock and his wife Andy had just formed that nonprofit. And um, one of the things that that Charlie was really discussing at the time was the idea of quorum deo, of mm-hmm. all of life lived out under the gaze of God, and there being no divide between sacred parts and secular parts, but that all of it alike belonged to God and was lived under his gaze and should be part of our act of worship. Mm-hmm. And those ideas were new to me and and became very formational um, as I was just at the point of beginning to rebuild, um, you know, a a theology that that was actually more scriptural and mm-hmm. and and uh, made more sense than than what I had grown up with that ultimately fell apart. Um, and so, in writing every moment, holy, one of the underlying ideas of it is the hope of being able to communicate to people. Um, that that quorum deo idea mm-hmm. that you know we might tend to think of um, just church services as liturgical or certain ceremonies for baptism and marriage and those sorts of things, but the reality is, as Tish was saying, that everything that that we do that forms the rhythms of our lives um, is formational to who we are and. And my hope was to help bridge that gap mm-hmm. for people in their understanding that um, that Charlie was so instrumental in, in helping to bridge for me and mine when I was in my 20s, mm-hmm. that, that everything matters. It's all part of that, 
that act of worship and all parts of our lives can be offered to God and considered in light of his of his truth and mm-hmm. his spirit at work mm-hmm. within us. Yeah. Tish, you used the word formation. Um, and uh, it made me think about the, you know, you have a, a chapter about um, making your bed. <laughs> you know, just just that simple habit of getting up in the morning and making making your bed. Yes, which I do not always do. Uh-huh. Still, even though it's in the book. <laughs> I sometimes do it, though. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, of course, this is a, a podcast about writing, um, and um, and I think that that idea, th- these ideas of, on the one hand, paying attention to what's right in front of you, instead of thinking I've got to say something fabulous or something nobody's ever said before or whatever. I, th- I think that's super important. And then also just this idea of of the habits, the the liturgy of every day, um, trusting the process, sitting down, doing. I mean, this this is a, a I think that's what you mean by formation, um, Tish. You know, j- just the idea of of doing these little habits that that um, making your bed once isn't going to make a, any difference in your life, but doing it every every morning eventually does. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I I talk about that um, in the book that I never made my bed. Mm-hmm. I mean, never. I didn't, and I. Fun. I mean, I say this in the book, but it was true. Like, it hadn't occurred to me that grown-ups like did this, uh-huh. made their bed when they weren't, when there was no parent to make them do this. Yeah. Um, and which just speaks to the state of my home. <laughs> but, um, but uh, so I would often wake up and immediately go to my smartphone, which that used to does no longer does, but used to sit. Uh, you know, on my bedside table. And so I would like look at the news. So the very first um, moments of the day were imprinted by technology mm-hmm. and, and you know, news and entertainment and newstainment, which is kind of sort of all of our news now. And, yeah. um, and so I had no space for the... Uh, actual embodied world that uh-huh. I was in, noticing yeah. the weather outside, the what I was feeling in my body or mm-hmm. hearing outside. I had no space for silence. Uh, and so that chapter uh, on bed making isn't so much about, you know, it, keeping your house clean, mm-hmm. uh, because I would cannot, I will not be able to write that book. But <laughs> I, um, but I, it's about, um, learning these very small practices that that change the course of our day mm-hmm. um, really subtle things that point us to something um, larger than ourselves or, or point us in a different direction than just our my nat- sort of natural habits and nat- natural inclinations would be and I definitely think that um, There's a book on habit that I can't actually even remember, but I know that there's this concept in it of sort of super habits or habits that shape all our other habits. Uh Bed making may even be mentioned as one of those, but, um, but writing, I think the arts of any sort is definitely one of those that, um, writing is something that you you have to sort of take up as a habit that mm-hmm. you have to kind of do over and over again, or at least give some real time to, 
Um, and that habit is going to shape the rest of your day, shape the way you see the rest of your day as you're going through it. I mean, and also shape your actual time. But I feel like when I started writing, we had really little kids. And so I had basically an hour and a half every morning that my husband would take the kids and I could write. And that was it. That was mm -hmm. all I was going to write that day. And so, um, and that was four days a week. So I had just over whatever that is, like 10 hours in a week. And that was going to be all. So I had to, so my life was shaped around that habit mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and thinking about what I was going to write the next day, what I was going to do. And now that I actually have more time and write more full time, it's actually kind of in some ways hard. I think I get some less done in yeah. some ways because it's easy to go, well, I'll write in an hour or so. And, uh, yeah. So that sort of habituation of time, I think, changes us as writers. But also the, the practice of writing changes how you walk around in the world, mm -hmm. how you grocery shop and do everything else you do. It's, it kind of shapes who you are. Yeah. One of the connections um, that's important to me between um, the habits of writing and, and the, the uh, liturgy, more properly speaking, or, or if that's the right way to say it, is um, that in there are mysteries about writing. There are things that, that happen when I sit down to write that I don't understand. What's I don't mm -hmm. understand what's going on, and I have no control over those things. But what I do have control over is actually sitting down and actually putting you know. So I, I can that those habits that I do have some sort of control over create room and space for these mysteries to assert themselves, um, which I think is a really important part of, of, I mean, I know it's a really important part of what y'all are talking about. I absolutely love that idea so, so much. Um, James Brian Smith in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, his first chapter is about sleep as a spiritual practice. And one of the things he says is that sleep teaches us about all spiritual practices and that you can't make yourself sleep. You mm. can only create the conditions under which you might fall asleep. Yes. But you can't actually rest on your own. I mean, uh -huh. that, that has to sort of be received as a gift. And yeah. I, I talk about that a little bit in the last chapter of my book. But um, I very consistently in writing... Um, write things I don't know, don't know I knew. And, yeah. um, and there's, um, so I do, I love what you had to say about, I do think there's this mystery to it of, uh, my husband, who's an academic writer, doesn't understand what I mean by that, but that is very <laughs> consistently. I feel like I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm learning as I'm writing and, yeah. um, and there, so there is this kind of entering into something that's that I can, I don't control, but um, creating we're creating those conditions where that might happen. Yeah. And and you kind of beg God. And Walker, I remember reading Walker Percy. Every day he sat in his office from nine to twelve. He said, and sometimes he would write a lot and do really well, and sometimes it wouldn't go well. But he said you kind of had to get to the point where you gave up and just begged God to throw you a bone. <laughs> so, that, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, this isn't the last, the last thing you said isn't going to be the last thing you ever say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there is the sense of you sit there in your office and you just, um, 
throw yourself on the mercy of God. Yeah. And he said, you know, he his wife could always tell um, how well writing went versus by when he came out at noon if he was sweaty or not. <laughs> and he said when he wrote this lately, his life problem is that he hasn't ever been sweaty coming out of his office. But anyway, wow. so he just sat there. He just sat there and waited waited so when he was productive he got sweaty or he when he was unproductive he was sweaty when he was productive he got sweaty <laughs> that's funny <laughs> um just a couple of uh weeks ago uh, on a recent episode uh of the habit um jessica Hooten wilson told me that walker percy also uh, watched soap operas and the incredible hulk <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> You know, I've, I've spent the last few minutes looking for something on my phone, um, and I finally found it. Um, but it's it's where my mind went when you asked that last question. And this is this is a short um, Celtic prayer. It's um, I doubt this title was actually attached to it um, when it was written during the heyday of, of Celtic Christianity, but the title on it is Praying with the Spirit. Um, but I've just been struck with how insightful and penetrating um, the, the thoughts of uh, this anonymous author were hundreds of years ago. Sometimes when I pray, I utter the words, but I do not feel or think them. Sometimes when I pray, I utter the words, thinking about what I say, but not feeling. Sometimes when I pray, I utter the words, and I both think and feel what I say. An act of will cannot make me feel, nor stop my mind from wandering. An act of will can only make me utter. So I shall utter the words, and let the Spirit do the rest guiding my mind and heart as he wills. Wow. That's so beautiful. But I spent so long trying to find that that I forgot what the tie-in was to the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it ties in perfectly. It's yeah. this idea that we we sort of show up with our like little little tiny tools, whatever they are, the prayer your keyboard, and then you're, but you're waiting grace. I mean, you're waiting mm-hmm. God to move. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And it's healthy to acknowledge that there are mysteries at work, but it's not especially helpful to spend all your time wondering when the mystery is going to assert mm-hmm. itself. <laughs> and when, you know, I, you're, you're better off just sitting down and, and doing it. Yeah. And hoping for the best. Yeah. And part and and also mystery can look really ordinary too. You know, I, I mm. completely believe that mystery is at work. And sometimes mystery looks like um you know, I mean, this has happened where I'm learning things at my computer and weeping because God is like healing me through this process of writing. But sometimes mystery can look like I am frustrated and I don't know how to make this sentence work and I don't mm-hmm. know how to do this and uh and but I keep working on it, and it and eventually through editing, you know, something semi coherent kind of happens. I think what I'm saying is I think there is the great mystery, but I don't want to only associate mystery with um, sublime experiences. Like mm-hmm. 
if my daughter planted garlic in our backyard last um, yesterday, and if that garlic grows, like that's a great mystery, but it's it's also really really ordinary, and she's going to have to do lots of you know gar- regular garden maintenance to do that. So, mm-hmm. um, and no one no one's going to think it's a miracle that she that garlic grew from garlic but it, <laughs> you know it is kind of a miracle sure. that things grow yeah and 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 uh staying in touch with with that fact that that's a miracle um that's a, that's a really healthy healthy act for anybody but especially for a writer i um i have something I call the other the other people's rodents uh, principle, and that is the the rodents in your own life. You are either uh, uh, you don't like your own rodents. The the chipmunks that that burrow under my patio. I hate those chipmunks. I hate Tennessee chipmunks. But when I go to Colorado and see the the little Colorado chipmunks, they're just darling. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and and so. Th- what got me thinking about this is there were Australians who came, Australian um, exchange students who came to to my kid's school, and they went nuts over the squirrels. They thought the squirrels were the most amazing thing they'd ever seen. And these are people who lived with kangaroos at home, <laughs> but because they were, yeah, because they were different, um, they were able to see what a what a miracle squirrels are. And they weren't wrong. It's just that I'm so used to squirrels that I forget. Um, right. It was your ordinary. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, all right, we are kind of uh, getting close to the end here in terms of the time we have. Tish, would you tell us just to, just real quickly about the Pelican Project? I, I would like to, for the listeners of the habit, know a little something about what, what you're doing there. Okay. Um, the Pelican Project is uh, started as a group of friends, mostly of Karen Swallow Pryor. She kind of um, pulled a bunch of us together that got to know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a group of women um a lot of them are writers not all of them actually i think right now all of them are writers but they're also um church leaders in lots of different ways Mm um and um academics also several of them are are academics and so it's a guild of women um that we focus on it's a guild of women that um I'll just read you the description. Fostering a commitment to Christian faith and practice across cultural, denominational, and racial lines. So we are a group of women who are leaders in the church, who are writers, who are um, educators. And so there's a lot of guilds, of like writers' guilds. But as far as we knew, there wasn't one with a overt... Um, public statement of faith or uh-huh. public ethical commitments. Uh-huh. And so our, we gather uh, not so much around craft, although craft is part of what we've talked about, but around these, uh, the statement of faith and these, I think it's 10 commitments, public commitments that we have um, for things like um, civility online and um, uh, respect like trying to honor christian orthodoxy and the great tradition of the church mm-hmm. while also extending hospitality to people outside of that so mm-hmm. the pelican project is a we have about 20 members and then we do projects together so right now there's um something called the 
um, the Clutch, which is an online community of women um, who affirm our faith statement and commitments and just discuss things online. And um, then they're starting a podcast. I'm Mm. not part of that, but they're starting a podcast in the next few years. And um, we don't know from there, might do conferences Uh and that sort of thing. But it's um, largely a group of sort of women, speakers, writers, and leaders that um, gather around these commitments. And we've also just become friends. So Mm -hmm. we pray for each other a lot and just kind of support each other in our work and vocations, all of our various vocations. Uh Uh-huh. Well, great. I I had I'd seen something about it. Just thought it was. I loved. I loved seeing that. One thing I love is that you're uh, that you're not um, uh, uh, monolithic or, or not uh, not monocultural. Let's just say in terms of uh, you know people have different. Uh, you 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 have you share faith commitments, but there there are things that you don't agree on, and yet you've you're committed to um, to being yeah. civil. That was really intentional. Um, A lot of the church, particularly among women, the the conversations can be really divided against Mm -hmm. women's for ordination, women that are for women's ordination and women that aren't. So that's intentionally we have both in Uh this group and and reach across theological differences there. We have Baptists and Presbyterians and Anglicans Uh and that reach across. And then also it's really intentionally um, racially diverse. Mm-hmm. So we um, have women of color and white women and women um, not across probably the entire political perspective, but a, mm-hmm. a lot of it. And so there's it's really intentionally kind of a diverse group of Christian women, but we do have these core theological commitments and ethical commitments that are that kind of tether us together. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. All right. Last question: Who are the writers who make you want to write, Tish? Doug's already had his chance, so uh, <laughs> I want to know who. But I didn't hear that one. Uh, I want now. I'm going to go back. Um, that make me want to write. Okay. Yeah. Now, so, of course, this isn't the same thing as who are your favorite writers. I mean, it could be, but yes. Yeah, you warned me of that because I have a list of my favorite writers. Yeah. But I already told you this, but I'll tell your listeners. Like I, Flannery O'Connor is, we named our daughter after Flannery O'Connor and Dorothy Day. So mm-hmm. I love them, but I don't write like Flannery O'Connor. I don't write fiction. I don't write short mm-hmm. stories. So reading her nourishes me, but I don't think I'm going to go write about, you know, yeah. a <laughs> murder, a family <laughs> murder or something. Uh, so the, the people who make me want to write, um, Annie Dillard mm-hmm. is a huge one. She's been very influential to me. And when I read her stuff, um, she makes me believe that we live in a world that is wild and wondrous. Yeah. And that makes me want to write. Um, so Annie Dillard, um, uh, I mean, there's poets that are really influential to me, um, like Scott Cairns, but hmm. he, I don't write poetry. I haven't written, I do write poetry, but I don't show it to other people. So, um, but his. Yeah, but, but if he makes you want to go sit down and do what you do, though, that, that yeah, counts. Yeah, I think he does. And his prose also, like, 
Lucy Shaw, Scott Cant, particularly mm-hmm. Scott, but um, his prose have been also really formative to me. He does a really good job of writing prose poetically. Um, so yeah. reading him, and he's so steeped in the, I mean, he reads like Eastern Orthodox fathers yeah. from 2,000 years ago every single morning and then he writes poetry about you know his daily life so it's Hmm. just he really um inspires me um i (laughs) i'm embarrassed about this one but c.s lewis is so predictable (laughs) but um but he's huge i mean i just he's been so influential to me my i put lots of i love other people's writing um, so much. And so in my books, I always end up with lots of people's quotes, too many quotes. So mm. my, when I turned in Liturgy the Ordinary, my, my editor didn't have a ton of changes, but her main, she said, there's too many quotes, there's too many C.S. Lewis quotes, and too <laughs> many James K.A. Smith quotes. Right. Um, and then this book, I know already that next one, I t- I'm writing a book right now that's due in a month or two. And, um, it's, I know she's going to say there are too many C.S. Lewis quotes and too many Rich Mullins quotes. There's, it's just, there's so many. There's yeah. every chapter. But Rich Mullins is also one of the writers um, that makes me want to write. Mm-hmm. And um, he, not only his songwriting, but he, he wrote little essays that I think are beautiful and brilliant. And, um, and then also Eugene Peterson when I read Peterson, I want to write. Um, those are some yeah. folks. Uh, right. Ann Patchett's nonfiction work has been really, really um, influential to me as well. Mm. So, All right. I, yeah. Well, Tish, thanks so much for being here. And Doug, thank you, too. This has been a lot of fun. Sure. Thank you. Thanks. Hope we can do it again soon. All right, y'all. Bye. Bye. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.